well, take your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. Uh, if not, try to remember to bring your Bibles. Bring your, uh, turn to your Bible in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. We are actually going to be continuing this week from where we left off in Matthew uh, because I did not know this at first, but the, this section is actually three parables of Jesus smashed together, and, and it forms this kind of three-part critique on the Pharisees when they first came to challenge Jesus about his authority. And so as, as I dug into it more, it was just so fascinating how throughout this time, Jesus, he, he kind of beats the Pharisees down a bit. He, he says, you religious leaders, you're, you're awful. The things that you're doing, how dare you? But yet, in the same token, he's offering hope. He, he's trying to bring about a, a, an area of repentance for them. He's not saying you're done, you get no more chances. And so this is just another marvelous way of seeing how God is, is trying to work through his son to, to redeem his people. And so, if you are able, I ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word today in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent more slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and, and killed him. Now when the owners of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? Sorry, I lost my place. They, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that produce the fruit of the kingdom. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit may come and speak to our hearts and our minds. Challenge us, Lord. We want to be shaped like you. We want to reflect you in every area, and that means more of you and less of us. So today, as we reflect on what your Savior said, may it come and pierce our hearts. It is in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, last week I spoke about the idea of authority, and we talked about Christ having the authority given by God, the ultimate authority, and how that empowered him to do so much more, and, and, and how we then respond to that said authority. And the implications for the religious leaders, unfortunately, was that they, they rejected Christ's authority, and, and that had lasting impacts, not just in the text, which we will continue to see as it plays out, but even throughout into the early church, into even our time today, we still can see Jews who know about Christ, who hear the story, but because they cannot accept authority, they reject him. And so this had a lasting impact that unfortunately has done so much damage. But as we move forward now, I want us to think about something else. I want us to think about the truths that we know about God, the truths that we know about Jesus. There's a handful of them, actually more than we could probably count, but I guess that's more than a handful now, isn't it? Uh, but God, God is loving, right? God is good. God is the source of all truth. God is judge. God is creator. God forgives. God is all-powerful. God seeks a relationship with us. These are just some of the truths that we say we believe, that we know from God through Scripture and through our experience with Him. This is what we profess as 100% accurate of who God is. Unfortunately, what happens sometimes as we profess these truths is that we, we forget something. We forget something very important, which is on the screen, because if it's important, I'm going to make sure that you can read it so you can digest it. Even in forgiveness, even, even in, in love, even in his mercy and everything else that we proclaim as true, God still holds us responsible just because God is loving, just because God is merciful, just because God wants a relationship with us, does not dismiss the fact that he also holds us responsible for producing the harvest that he has given us charge to produce. And so we must learn how to bear this responsibility that Christ has given us because all authority has been given to him by God. It is our response to this authority. Now, uh, my, my parents wanted us as children to learn about responsibility at an extremely young age, uh, all throughout. I, I, well, maybe, maybe it was when we started questioning it that they kind of said, oh, well, that's because we were trying to teach you about responsibility, and they weren't really trying to, but they made the excuse later on. I don't know. Uh, they're parents, right? They're making up as they go. At least that's what I do. Uh, but as we grew up, they wanted us to be able to explore our hobbies, our passions, with, without really being tethered to anything. And so they said, if you truly want to get invested in something, we will help you do that. Uh, for one example, my sister really got into basketball. And so they bought a basketball hoop, they bought a basketball, and said, here you go, learn how to play basketball, have at it. And they said, do not worry to all of us. They said, don't worry about wearing it out. We, we, got, you know, we got a decent one, but if you wear it out, if the basketball gets played with so much that it pops, it's okay. 
we will gladly replace anything that gets broken because you were using it for what it was supposed to be used for. But if we find out you were using it for something that you knew you shouldn't have been doing and you break it, you're going to be paying for it out of your own money. And so they, they taught us to respect the things that were given to us and, and to, to care for them and to love them and respect them and to do with them what we were supposed to do. And I still hold that teaching even today, and I try to teach my children that. It's coming. It's, it's, it's a while, but, it, you know, it's a progress. It, but trying to teach them just to respect the books that they have, the, the toys that they have and to treat them the way that they should be. And it's this idea of responsibility that we need to address today within our own lives because whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, Jesus has all authority over us. And thus that means we bear a responsibility to produce for him the harvest that he commands from us. So it's better for us if we learn how to do it than to try to push back as the Pharisees did. And so here's, here's something. If, if you want to, if you're ever talking to someone and they want a quick summary of the Old Testament, go to this passage. Tell them the parable because that, that parable summarizes the, the bulk of the Old Testament in a fairly good story. Because we, we, we have it all here. God is the vineyard owner. He, he comes and he gives everything that's necessary for success to the Israelites who are the tenants. And he says, here you go. I'm going to prepare you so that you can produce this great bountiful harvest. And, and they're entrusted with the care of everything. They're, they're given all the stuff that they need. And yet, when it comes time to get the harvest servants come, who are the prophets of the Old Testament, coming to get what God has commanded from his people, and they beat them and kill them and stone them and do everything horrible to them. And they do it time and time again. The, the, the books that we have in the prophets are just a small fragment of how many prophets were sent to the Israelites. Just a small chunk of the people who came from God trying to bring this harvest. And every time that happened, they mistreated them. Now, I love here how Jesus, uh, he kind of weaves into the story then uh, the prediction about his own death and what was going to happen to him. Because then he says, and, and then finally the landowner sent his son. And he came and they said, hey, here's the son. If we kill him, we get to have the whole land because then there will be no one to inherit it. And this is Jesus predicting his death at the hands of the religious leaders. Everything they were trying to do was trying to skirt their responsibility to God. The fruit that they were supposed to produce, it was so simple, it was so easy. God told the Israelites, just live in this land and take care of it. Take care of yourselves. Be a people who are, are different than the rest of the world, living as a witness to who I am, caring for those who are oppressed and downtrodden, those who are disadvantaged. You, you just do that. You, you live your lives. You focus 
solely on that. And he gave them the tools to do that, including one of the most amazing things that I wish we could still do, which is the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, you get a year where you don't work. And then every seven, seven times, so 49 years, you get a year where you don't work. And then you have the year of Jubilee at year 50, where everything just gets erased. If you had debt, gone. If you had to sell your land, gone. You get to go back to where you sold your own land because everything gets reset so that the next generation can have the same chance as the previous one. That is like nothing we have in this world. How amazing would it be to be able to get rid of your debt? Amen to that. <laughs> no mortgage, no car payments. It's just all gone, forgiven. This was one of so many amazing tools that God gave his people saying, just be my witnesses. Live differently than the world so that people see it and just scratch their heads and say, what is going on here? So then you can point back to me. That's all they had to do. And yet, they didn't want to bear that responsibility. They didn't want to do that. And the worst part of all this is the fact that Jesus then asked them, hey, Pharisees, religious leaders, what should we do to these tenants? If this story was real, what should we do to these people? They should get killed. How dare they do something so horrible? And then Jesus is like, ha ha, uh, you do realize you're talking about yourselves. I'm sure a few of them kind of like hung their heads a bit and were like, oh, got him. Oh, I don't want that. Let me change my mind real quick. We, we should love them. We should forgive them, right? Jesus, you're all about forgiving. No, no, okay. <laughs> we never escape our responsibility to God. No matter how hard we try, ask Jonah. It's not possible. We never escape our responsibility to God to produce the fruit of the vineyard. It's always expected of us. It always comes due. And this is the uncomfortable truth that we must come to realize. Responsibility just doesn't disappear because we want it to. Responsibility just doesn't suddenly not apply to us because we don't like it. It's still there. And it will always be a part of our lives. God will call us to an account. It says in the very back of the book in Revelation, we all stand before the great white throne to give an account of our lives. We all bear this responsibility. Now, quite possibly the most condemning part of this parable, and really the saddest part for the Jews, was the fact that God had given them everything they needed. Everything. He, he gave them the vineyard. He planted the vineyard. They didn't even have to be good at planting crops. He, they didn't have to be green thumb gardeners. They, he planted it. He built the fence around to protect it. He built the watchtower so they could see any threats coming away. And he built the wine press so that they could take the grapes and turn it into wine. Everything they needed, all they had to do was sit back and watch the grapes grow, take them off the vines, and stomp on them. That's 
all they had to do. God pulled them out of Egypt, gave them his laws, his instructions, how to live this different life. It's not like some professors in college where they say, write a paper, and you say, okay, what's the guidelines? And they say, yes, give me a paper. And you're saying, but I need to know what I need to write on. And they're saying, just write a paper. And you're saying, I don't know. God didn't do that. He said, here is everything that you need. In fact, one of my most favorite parts about the Torah is when God says, don't ask who shall ascend to heaven to get it? Or who shall go across the sea to fetch it? This law is not too high or too far from you. It is written on your hearts so that you might know it. Everything given to him. And then he, he leads them, providing food for them in the desert, and then brings them to a land that is literally ripe with harvest, so much so that when the first spies went out and they came back, they had grapevines so massive it took two people to carry. Everything provided. Go live in this land in a way that no one else in the world lives so that you might be a witness to the rest of my creation. That's it. And yet, they could not do that. They could not. And time and time again, throughout Jesus' parables, we hear this of, of God expecting something from us because of what he has done for us. We, we have the different parables that we talk about. Uh, Pastor Jessica preached on the parable uh, of the worker in the vineyard, where one, they came and worked, and then he came back the next hour and grabbed more workers and grabbed more workers, and they were all expected to work. We also have the, the parable of the, the servants who were given five talents and three talents and one talent, and then he left and came back and said, how much did you make? And then just even last week with the parable of the two sons where the father expects their sons to go out into the field to work. Every time God gives something to us, he also calls us to do something with it. And so we cannot read this parable today and not reflect about our lives as the church. Just because we live on the other side of the cross doesn't mean that responsibility has disappeared. Somehow that we're exempt from it. In fact, uh, in some ways we have even more of a responsibility because through Christ we have been freed from so much more than what people had before Christ. And so we have so much more of a responsibility to live it out. But then, what is it that we are supposed to produce? Which is a fair question for us to ask. What is the fruit that we are supposed to give? What is the harvest that we are supposed to, to do? Well, all that comes right back to the very first sermon from this series, all the way back, believe it or not, June 7th. Can you imagine all the way back to June 7th? We were outside in the parking lot. It's been a while. Where did the year go? June 7th. We talked about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'll read it again for you just to, you know, clear that mind. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our fruit is to make disciples. We are supposed to live in a a small community of believers who are living as Christ has instructed us, which we call the church, in such a radical, different way that people look at us and they scratch their heads and they say, what's wrong with those crazy folks sitting out by that bonfire laughing and chuckling? And, And why do they live this way? Why do they act this way? Why do they give their money in that way? Why do they spend their time in this way? Why do they sacrifice all these things in this way and that way? And and it's supposed to not make any sense with anyone who doesn't belong to this small community because then they say, what is up? And we say, well, it's because my life has been changed. I have found something so much greater than myself because I know the one who saves me. I know the one who created me and I am forgiven and redeemed. And so now I live a life to him instead of to myself. And so we do this, or at least we're supposed to do this. The question becomes, will we as a church produce this fruit or not? Will we do the simple task of just living out what we've been instructed or not. The previous workers rejected their responsibilities. Will we? Have we rejected our responsibilities? Church, we need to take a hard look at our lives today. Are we allowing ourselves to be held responsible for the fruit that we're supposed to be producing as Christians? Or... Have we somehow taken the gift of God's kingdom and and twisted it and claimed it as something of our own property, trying to reap the inheritance of it without the son coming to get what he was sent to acquire? We manipulate it. We we change it. we, We destroy it when we subjugate it to human will, when church becomes a social club where it's all about popularity and prestige. When we reject certain people from coming into our group because of the clothes they wear or the jobs they work or how they smell or the way that they speak, nothing disqualifies anyone from becoming a part of us as a church, except an unwillingness to submit to Christ as Savior. That's the one qualification that you need to belong to the church, to accept Christ as your Savior. If you reject that, well then yes. Unfortunately, we we don't have a seat here for you because we are here to worship Christ. We are here to give glory to God because of what his son did. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter the money you make. It doesn't matter about the, the language you have, the, 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 the way that you can speak. It, none of that matters except Christ. Worst of all is when we refuse to reach out to others, to tell them 
about the love of Christ, the salvation that we have, the, the judgment of God, and the redemption of humanity. That is probably the most condemning thing a church can do is when we hold it to ourselves, when we decide who we tell and who we don't tell. When we say, oh, well, you are worthy of knowing about this valuable information, but you, I'm not so sure about you. You look shady. I don't know if I want to be friends with you. At that point, we're just being selfish and determining something that is only up to God to determine. Therefore, remember, therefore always means because of everything that has been said up to this point, there is an action that comes. Therefore, let us redefine who we are as a church so that we might not just maintain our responsibility to God, but purposely live it out every day. Invite people into our homes. Just, just as they are, just as we are, just as our homes are, just as everything is. Don't fret, don't worry. Just invite people into your homes so that they may experience the blessings of a home that is centered on Christ. So that they may see a home where the peace of Christ dwells. For some, that might be the first time they've ever experienced true peace. Love the coworker that no one else loves in the office because they have that unique personality or they always make more work for everyone else or because they're just that annoying person who always comes around when you're trying to type up your budget report and it's not working and then they want to talk and talk and talk and love them. Make meals for someone who can't cook. Spend time with someone who is alone. These are just a few ways that we can begin to return the harvest from God's vineyard back to him by caring for, by loving others. Now, the weight of this, this message, uh, it, it's, been, it's been burdensome, burdensome, bur, bur, it's been tough. You can tell. It truly has, though. It, this, this week has is, is been tough to hear this because we're coming into this time of thankfulness. We're coming into this time of plenty, of bounty. That's what the harvest is all about. That's what, that's what fall is all about. It, it's about bringing in all the goods that have been planted for the year, and you bring it in, and you, you, your, your larders are full. Sorry, we've been reading a lot of uh, Little House on the Prairie, so uh, a larder is a root cellar kind of, you know, uh, but everything is full with food and everyone is just happy and they're preparing for the winter and to, to get tucked in because of the cold. And I think about things like Thanksgiving. And I think about the past times when I've been with family. And we're sitting around the table with more food than we can eat. Laughing, playing games. then I think there's people who are at their homes by themselves on those days. There's people who don't have family nearby. There's people who've lost loved ones. 
So maybe I need to sacrifice this year so that others might be able to enjoy the blessedness that I've received for so many years. Maybe instead of going and, and being with my family on that day, I, I need to invite people into my home and be their family on that day. Because in all actuality, aren't we all family? Aren't we brothers and sisters? Aren't we a part of one group? So what a blessing would it be then to share that with others? That, that's just, it's, that has been grinding me all week. Because I think about just that, that simple thing that could change a person's life. And it's that simple. Putting an extra plate on the table and saying, hey, come on over. We have some food. My prayer has been for us that we won't take the route of the religious leaders, that we won't try to skirt around our responsibility, that we won't try to somehow navigate in between the lines, find the gray area or the loopholes, but that we might bear it with all heaviness to demonstrate the love of Christ. And so, may this heaviness stir your hearts to follow the Holy Spirit's leading and to help us with that today. Um, my help actually just left. Um, but to help us with that, I'm, I'm going to do something... Um, I have these cards. Sorry, people who are online because you're just hearing my voice now, but um, don't worry. I have these cards with these questions, two questions on them. And I want you to take this card. I'm going to give every single person one. Put it somewhere where it is most prominent for you. Your car, your fridge, the mirror in your bathroom, wherever. And on it, it says, To what extent have we come to treat the kingdom of God as if, it were, as if it were our own to do with as we please? And has the kingdom of God come to reflect God's priorities or our priorities? And I want you to pray over these questions this week and let them transform you. And as we do that, we're going to have a song played just to, for reflection. If you could click through those slides as I uh, pass those out. So go ahead and do that. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength, my shield to you. Spirit heal. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You're my friend, and you are my 
extent how far have we gone in our lives both individually and as a church to come to treat God's kingdom as if it were our own at what point in our lives have we stoned and kicked out and beaten and killed the servants that God has sent into our lives to bring about the harvest because we want to inherit the good things without the responsibility and the authority of God. Has the kingdom come to reflect God's priorities or our priorities? Let us pray this morning. Lord God, help us because this is not easy to hear these words, to be challenged in this way. Responsibility is difficult. Responsibility calls us to do something. Responsibility means that we have to work. And that's hard some days, every day. Lord, help us to bear this responsibility with glad tidings and joy. To live in this small community of believers who are, are living a life as Christ prescribed through the, the instructions given originally through the Old Testament as a way to be representatives of your kingdom. Your kingdom, God, not our kingdom, your kingdom. 
And through that, may we do what you commanded us before you went back to heaven to return to God the Father, which is to make disciples. To share with others the good news. We praise you, God. And we ask that you continue to help us every day to reflect upon these questions so that we might be more and more like you. As we close with the benediction today, I encourage you to raise your hands for the blessing. God, our beloved, you set before us the goal of new life in Christ. May we live in the power of his resurrection and bring forth the fruit of your gentle and loving rule. Amen. I now send you out into your communities to make Christ-like disciples. Go in the grace of God. God bless you.